Myself and Millie, a podcast that gives light and levity to infertility and different pathways to parenthood. Hosted by yours truly, infertility sleuth, Millie Brooks. That's me. Hey, guys. Thanks for being here and tuning in. Today, we have special guest Monica Karen on the show to talk about what it's like to go through IVF without your mom. You may remember Monica from episode 42, where she shared her journey with secondary infertility. In that episode, we realized we had another common bond, which was losing both our moms before starting fertility treatments. Once you find someone in this community that has shared similar struggles, it's an instant connection, and it feels really cathartic and healing to talk about those unique challenges. So stay tuned for that convo. A friendly reminder to follow me, myself, and Millie on Instagram. Our handle is at me, myself, Millie. And I'm on there on a weekly basis giving podcast updates. If you want to be extra special, give us a shout out when you listen to the podcast and share a screenshot of the episode. It all helps get the word out about the pod and helps us reach more folks dealing with infertility. Thanks, guys. Monica, it's so lovely to have you back on the show for such a special topic. I'm so glad that we're here and we share this unique bond of having gone through IVF and also having lost our mothers. I know. Welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. I really, as horrible as a topic this is for both of us just to not have our moms and very thankful that we have each other and also just thankful for the opportunity to talk about this with you and kind of have our own little therapy session right now, perhaps. Yeah. I think something that like, um, I was kind of reflecting on before we gathered today was, um, you know, one thing that I really want to do with this podcast is spread more awareness, you know, about infertility and talk about the things that are hard to talk about. And I think death is kind of falls into that category too. I think death is really hard for us to talk about as a society. A hundred percent. I totally agree with you. And I think in general, it's hard to just even know what to say to somebody who's going through a death in in the family or a close friend. It's really hard to talk about it yourself when you're going through it. I know for me personally, when I lost my mom, I really only wanted to talk to people who had actually lost a parent. I wasn't relating to people who had been through other types of um, loss. And it was at nobody's fault. Like nobody was trying to do anything but be helpful. And it's just a tough conversation to figure out how to navigate. Totally. Totally. And having these both, I mean, it's double layered too, because I feel like people have a hard time knowing the right words to say to someone who's infertile. And then, um, 
knowing the right thing to say to somebody who's just lost a parent. And I did the exact same thing. I just wanted to connect with people who lost a parent. Right. Yeah, I agree. It's an interesting kind of similarity there in what do we say? Like, What do we say to people who have experience lost? What do we say to people who are going through infertility? And also, um, what do we say to ourselves when we've, you know, had a death? Mm -hmm. And I think this loop of comparison that we do in the infertility world in terms of comparing our journey to others and at times feeling upset because somebody else has something that we don't have, or at times feeling like we haven't been through enough and our infertility infertility journey can actually be very similar to the death journey in terms of, you know, for me, I lost my mom. I was 31 years old when my mom passed away. I had an incredible relationship with her. We had time to say everything that we wanted to say to each other before she died. And I went down this rabbit hole of like, I didn't go through enough. You know, like I, mm. even my mom, it still wasn't as bad as like so many other people have had it. Yes. Yes. I so relate to that. I totally relate to that. Um, Well, why don't, to start, why don't we share a little bit about our moms, who they were, what they did, their personality, et cetera. You go first. Lovely. Yeah. So my mom's name was Debbie. Um, Her given name, though, was Pearl. She was born as Pearl Deborah Schoenberger. And growing up, did not like the name Pearl, so changed her name to Debbie. And she just was this incredible force of a woman. She was a um, anti-war protester, and in, in uh, during Vietnam, she was a bra-burning hippie who fell in love with a Navy man, my dad. Um, so, kind of like two different paths, but opposites attract, and. She was a teacher. She was an incredible teacher. She taught high school and then eventually kind of settled into fifth grade teaching. And I think for so many people that knew my mom, she was a teacher to all of us. Um, She had the kindest heart. She also was a no bullshit kind of woman. Um, She had like a zero bullshit tolerance and she could smell bullshit from a mile away. So (laughs) Yes. There's so many things in my life that I've experienced since losing her. I'm like, oh, God, I need my mom's bullshit radar. I need that. <laughs> um, and she was just, you know, like I said, she was really kind. My friends used to love to come over to my house. Like I was the house where everybody was always at my house because people were congregating. To- yeah, congregating. My mom would like buy snacks. She would go to Blockbuster on the Friday night and, you know, rent a million movies for me and my friends. She was you know, pitter pattering around the kitchen while all of my friends and we were hanging out and she would interject at just the right times. I was very fortunate that to only kind of go through the being embarrassed by my mother phase, like in middle school and then quickly got over it. Um, and she just was, everybody went to her for advice. Everybody always wanted to know what Debbie would think and what Debbie would do. Um, and even in her death, um, she was guiding all of us in terms of, you're going to be really sad, but you're going to be okay. You know, Mm. 
life will move forward, life will change, but you're going to be okay and you will be able to move on. Well, not move on per se, but to, to move forward. So that's wow. Michelle? Beautiful. Beautiful. And what about your mom? Well, my mom, um, her name was Karen, and she would have such an issue right now with the um, with the reputation of Karens in this world. You know, Debbie Downer, Debbie had a really big problem with Debbie Downer. She's like, why am I a downer? So I don't know how Karen would feel about this. Yeah, my mom would be so appalled that like Karens are like, you know, a very derogatory term now. Um and she she would just I think she'd be kind of mortified by it. Um but she was a nurse all her life. She worked in the Detroit ER. Um, for 25 years. And then she started being the parish nurse at our church, um, which actually led her to a lot, to helping a lot of people through the death and dying process. Um, She was there with people at our church when they were, you know, losing a loved one or they were in hospice care. Um, she got a diagnosis for multiple myeloma when I was in high school and it was a year after my parents had divorced. So high school was just a crazy time for me. Um, but I, I remember her using her, her experience of having gone through cancer and two stem cell transplants to create support groups and people to like help and mentor and shepherd. You know, she was sort of a, a, she was a, you know, a guiding light in our community, in our small town in Michigan. Um, And same thing, a lot of people would come to her with advice, you know, like what, what do you think, Karen? What should I do? You know, um, she was definitely that figure. And um, it's funny as you were saying that like your mom was sort of um, shepherding and guiding you guys through her death process. My mom did the same thing. Like she was totally, um, it felt like she was holding our hands more than we were holding her hands. Exactly. Exactly. My mom was very, she did not want to be, she always said, I don't want to live dying. I want to die living. She was very adamant about having like a, a full quality life that she could have. And then when she got to the end of the road, she didn't want any extreme measures and we were all like, but wait a minute, there's this clinical trial that we could do. Why don't you? Oh my do- God, we did the same thing. We were like, we could try that. We could try this. And my mom was like, I'm done. I'm same, done. Same with my mom. And I think that's a little bit of the teacher, you know, the teacher side of my mom um, that, that really like she taught us what to do and how to handle it. Um, and it sounds like your mom also had that same kind of mentality too, from going from an ER hospital. I mean, nurses are 
the guiding force of hospitals. Doctors are amazing too. I'm not taking anything away from doctors, but <laughs> they're the ones who really are by the bedside and figuring out what's, you know, what's happening and, and the emotional support a lot of the time for a patient. And I, it sounds like from what you're saying, your mom was able to take a lot of that into how she carried through for preparing for death. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah. And and nurses really do a lot of the dirty work uh-huh. too. Even going through infertility and going through treatments and like going to clinics where I rarely see the doctor right. and I'm I'm more in contact with the nurses. I'm like, wow, you guys are like kind like so on the front lines of this. Uh-huh. Yeah, my my nurse, um, my nurses at my clinic were I am overwhelmingly amazed at the every role that they play from the, you know, the straight up medical side, answering the questions that I had to the emotional support side that they were able to provide all of it. And we love you nurses. Yes. Shout out to all the nurses listening. Um, Well, people tend to say, I don't know if this happened to you at all, but when my mom was passing away, People said some really dumb shit to me. Um, did anyone say anything to you that felt a little off at the time? I got a lot of comments that felt a little off. And candidly, I'm sure some of the comments that felt off at the time, I was just so fucking pissed off <laughs> that I probably overreacted to some of them. I mean, but one of the ones that really stands out in my mind is this woman who was in her late 60s, had lost her mother at 99 years old a few weeks before my mom died at 99 years old. She died happily in her sleep after like legitimately going to happy hour at the retirement home. Like she was still very independent, you know, going to bingo and happy hour at the retirement home and then died in her sleep. And we're sitting at Shiva, the Jewish religion. You, you sit Shiva and mourn um, for a week after somebody passes away. And we're sitting at Shiva and she comes over to me and she says, you know, we're just sisters now. And we know exactly what we're both going through. And I just wanted to look at her. I <laughs> do. <laughs> But I'm like, lady, you're 69 years old. Your mom got to <laughs> grandchildren and great-grandchildren, by the way. Um, your mom died peacefully yeah. in her sleep on her own terms and, you know, at 99 years old. And that to me was just like, what is happening? Am I in the twilight zone right now? Um, and really frustrating. Um, you know, But other things that people would say to me, I mean, again, I know people were trying to be helpful, but when people would compare the loss of like a grandparent later in their life to me losing my mom, it just really was difficult for me to process that. Um, Yes. Yes. You know, I'd love to hear some of the dumb shit people said to you. Oh, well, let me get my list out. Um, (laughs) Well, the hardest part, so the beautiful thing about my mom's work at the church was that she helped a lot of people, like I said earlier, you know, 
go through the hospice process. And so when she entered hospice, those people that she helped either, you know, lose a family member, lose lose a loved one, they felt like they needed to return the favor to her. Mm-hmm. So I almost felt like I was swatting at flies at a certain point. I just wanted to get a day with my mom alone. Yes. You know, like I didn't want all these people around. And that was really hard for me. Um because she only had so much energy during the day. And then when a visitor comes, that takes all of her energy. And then they leave and I'm still there and she just wants to fall asleep. Right. You know? So I have a little bit of respect for that, for that boundary, for that space now. Um, and know when you're invited, know if you need to be called on something, but don't ever just show up. Right. When somebody is like dealing with the somebody passing, or you know, if, or if you're just gonna show up, you show up, you drop off a meal, and, and then you leave, and then you leave. You don't, yeah. you don't visit. I mean, unless this has like been a called upon presence. When my mom was dying, um, so much of our family flew in for like the last goodbyes. And it was amazing. We had like a rotating open door policy of family coming from California. We were in Atlanta and from California, from Arizona, from New York, from Texas. And that's, those were like special memories that we all had together as a family sitting around the table, you know, having wine filled dinners, talking about everything with this pending death. And But even so, with our family in town, we would have just random people dropping by. And my mom started to talk about the inner circle versus the outer circle. Mm -hmm. And the outer circle would started coming out of the woodworks and making her death about them. Yes. And making her death, like, I'm so sad to be losing Debbie. She was such a huge force in my life and all of these things. And my mom was like, well, this is really lovely and nice, but I'm also hearing this on my deathbed. And you're like, all of these people who, and it's great on one hand, like you're learning that you've had such a huge impact on somebody's life and they want to tell you these things. But the other side of it, my mom felt like people, a few, well, a lot of people were being a little disingenuous and people are drawn to death. People are drawn to tragedy. People are drawn to trauma And she just felt like it was a moth to a flame. So she actually put in some rules on who could come by and who could not and started to just not even give a shit when people would come by and they'd pop their head in and she'd say, I'm not feeling well. It's time for you to go. Just like for her. Good for her. Yeah. I wish, I wish my mom had that vocabulary in those moments because it was really exhausting for the, it's exhausting for the family too. Yep. You know, um, and one specifically, though, what somebody said to me that I thought was just outrageous. Um, one thing was um, at her funeral, somebody came up to me and asked if we had made up. Excuse me? Yeah. Yeah. What do you mean? What's the background on that? It was just like a random... A random churchgoer who probably, you know, heard my mom's frustration 
of, you know, parenting me as a teen and came up to me and asked if we had made up. What was your response in the moment? I just looked at her and I said, huh, you're funny. And I walked away. (laughs) And what do you, like, are you happy with that, that, how you responded to her and what you did? Or is this a moment for you where you replay it a lot and say, I wish that I said something different to her? I honestly, I was so overwhelmed at her funeral Mm -hmm. that like, I just wanted to, there was one point where I had to go hide in the back of the church because I was just bombarded with people, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, so that woman specifically um, tried to continue to maintain contact with me after my mom died. And I completely ignored her, which feels like the right thing because I just don't want to get into a, a whole like virtual argument with her about it. You know, she doesn't deserve my energy. That is a thing that my mother's death and infertility, um, really taught me just in terms of where is my energy? Where is it worth putting my energy? Sometimes I forget and sometimes I have to be reminded. Um, but you know, I, I think going through that process of losing my mom and then having that reality of who do I really want to be spending my time with? Who do I really want to like, it's this, this life is just once and you only have such a limited amount of time. And I, you know, know, where I want to put my energy and what I want to do and how I want to do it um, was a big thing that I learned in, in my mother's death. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, some things really crystallize for us when we're we're met with these sort of defining moments. One other thing that I will just mention that somebody said, which I think is a common response, and because I want to try to spread more awareness about great things to say and things you might want to avoid, somebody said to me after she died, their question to me was, were you close? And that to me felt like, you know what? I would avoid that question when anybody was ever bringing up, you know, that so, that somebody's died. Obviously, they were close. Obviously, it's meaningful because they're sharing it with you. Well, also, even if they weren't close, this is something that I learned. Somebody very close to me lost their father at the same time, like two weeks before I lost my mom. And she admittedly did not have a close relationship with her father. And she was beyond devastated when he died because there was so much left that was unsaid. And the closeness of their relationship had no impact on whether or not she was devastated over the loss of her father. She went through a completely different, you know, experience of what it was to lose him than what I went through to lose my mom but you're still losing a parent, no matter how you slice it, there's regret. And even if you're not quote unquote close by somebody else's definition of close, it does not matter because it's devastating. So just don't say that people don't ask. (laughs) Don't say that. No, I don't even, it's, it's an inappropriate question to ask to, to anybody 
Yeah. Going through loss. Yeah. And even like with the miscarriage thing, well, you weren't that far along. That's good. You, you know, know, like there's self, but you know, yeah, it just like, it, it's just so inappropriate, you know? And, um, but let me pivot to the next question. What do you think you would miss the most? And what do you actually miss the most about your mom? What I thought I would miss the most are bigger things just in terms of her presence, her, you know, of course I, I miss her advice. Like I thought I would miss her advice. Of course I miss her advice. Um, but I really miss her idiosyncrasies. Like these little, I, I don't know if you are familiar with Goodwill hunting or not, but there's a scene where Robin Williams is talking to Will about losing his wife. And he talks in terms of what you think you're going to miss and the idiosyncrasies, the little things, the way that I, you know, my mom would call me and she would say, what's up toots? Like to never hear what's up toots again is such a crazy thing. And I didn't even realize that I was going to miss that. And when I was still living in New York, I would get off of the subway every morning on my way to work. I would leave my house, call my mom, get on the subway, hang up call my mom back when I would get off of the subway. And that was like our morning routine. And I remember it didn't really hit me until I got off of the subway and I went to pick up the phone to call my mom that I couldn't make that call. And it's all those little teeny tiny things that I miss the most. Not this like, what am I going to do when she's not there for like this giant, huge thing in my life? I mean, I'm, we'll get into what it's like to go through getting pregnant without your mom and infertility without your mom, but the little teeny tiny things, um, even just the way that she would, you mentioned this on the last podcast that, that we did just talking about like this, her smell, just yes. my mom's smell. I miss her smell. I miss resting my head on her chest and like kind of breathing her in and hearing the rhythm of her breath. And knowing that rhythm so well, that's the kind of stuff that I miss the most. The little teeny tiny things. What about and, you? And knowing the touch of her skin too, you yeah. know? Yeah. I, I when, she, when my mom passed away, I was shocked at the things that I was like, um, at the possessions that she had um, that I wanted to keep. Like I wanted to keep her pillow. <gasps> yes. I kept all my mom's pajamas. <laughs> yes. Like, yes. I don't know why, but I kept all the pajamas and I had this grand plan to make a quilt out of them. Oh, I Even love it. I haven't made the quilt yet, but I still have the pajamas. I love it. That's beautiful. But yeah. I, yeah, I really thought that I was going to miss my mom's advice and like lecturing and like she, ha she did have great advice, you know, she did. And I listened to it, even when it was hard to hear sometimes. But like, I, I, I honestly, I feel like her advice is already inside me. I was just going to ask you, do you feel like you don't miss the advice the way that you thought because you know what your mom would say? Yes. Same yeah. here. Same here. Exactly. Like, I just, I can feel her response. 
I can right. feel how she would respond. The things I do miss are like you said, you know, I love the how you doing toots. What is it? What is, I love that. Yeah. I love that. And I miss my mom. Um, she, one thing about my mom is that she was incredibly generous. And anytime she would come out to visit me in California, we were just like, we were at Ross and TJ Maxx and Marshall's constantly. And she was just like, oh, we got to get these cute pillows and we got to get this nice lamp. So I love that. My mom used to do the same thing. Anytime I'd come to Atlanta uh, when I was living in New York or vice versa, she would come to New York. There wasn't a target in New York though, but when I would come to Atlanta without fail, we would go on a target run and we would get to the checkout and she was like, you know, it's July. My birthday's in September. And she's like, "Ah, consider this an early birthday present, you know, like it's just like, I miss going on a Target run with my mom. And it's not about the stuff. It's not like I miss her buying me stuff. It's about that experience of my mom's face lighting up at checkout, being like, consider it an early birthday present. Yes, absolutely. And like really knowing now what joy that actually brought her in terms of having those moments together. Um, oh, and I forgot about the Target runs. I know. And even when I was in college too, and she would come visit me in Chicago, it was like we would do a grocery run, you know, and we would get, we would, I would just stock up. Yep. And, um, yeah. Um, what moments on your IVF journey made you really miss your mom and why? You know, I really missed my mom when we started our, our actual protocols. And when I went through my first IUI and had a chemical pregnancy, I was devastated that I could not pick up the phone and call my mom and just cry to her. And, you know, just really that type of moment where I had everything in this basket. I got this positive pregnancy test. I was so excited. And the next day I started my period. Um, I just was so lost and having that moment of hope that like, okay, we're now pregnant and then losing that. And then on top of it, not having my mom being able to comfort me in that moment was awful. Um, and I also really missed her when I was doing my, um, my protocols for my retrieval and my transfer. And I was a lunatic and I just wanted to call my mom and honestly be able to be a ragey bitch to someone who would not take it personally. Like I, you know, how your mom can be, she wasn't always my punching bag, but she was really great at just letting me vent and, throw it all out there and then helping me kind of pick up the pieces and wrap it all up together and, and just, but letting me go. And I've been left with men in my life after I lost my mom. So my dad, my brother, and my husband, all amazing, but men are fixers. So, you know, when you're just pouring your heart out and losing your shit and you just want somebody to look at you and say, God, that really sucks. This this is like the worst. You want that maternal moment of understanding, I'm left with men who are like, well, how are we going to fix it? What are we going to do? And I don't fucking want that in that moment. So I just really 
wanted my mom during that time of lunacy with all of the drugs. Oh, gosh. Similar, similar. I think when I started my stims, that is like that first night I was just absolutely terrified. You know, I, I was like, I mean, you be, you, it becomes like you can do it in your sleep and not even looking, you know, get so good at it. This is insane. You're terrified. It was terrifying. And, um, I was having to mix a lot of vials so that I just had one shot. Um, but all the medicine was like in one shot kind of thing. Um, and I just wanted to call her and be like, could you hold my hand through this nurse, Karen? You know, like I just wanted, and I also, I totally relate to like just wanting to, um, go off, you know, from all the hormones. Like I had so much, like one minute I was crying, the next minute I was horny, you know, like just, wanted and i i knew that like you know my husband was like trying to navigate all of those highs and highs and lows and my mom would just be able to like be that steady calm stream you know right. yeah that um that would have been nice like just that calming presence right you know and she also would have probably stuck up for me too Mm -hmm. she would have been like she probably would have even called Rowan and be like I know what you're going through right now and this won't last forever and you're doing such a great job you know that's the thing too that Neil actually mentioned when we were going through all of this my husband had said I really miss your mom because I want to be able to call her and just be like, what the fuck do I do right now? I have no idea how to handle your daughter. Please help me. And I have no guidance and no map on this. And you know, my dad, God bless him. He's amazing, but he doesn't get it in the same way. I mean, my dad didn't even understand, even though I explained the IVF process to him a gazillion times until I sent him a photo of all of my shots. And he was like, Oh, you, you had to do all of that. It's like, Oh God, dad, you're such a, I mean, you know, that kind of like, are you serious? Like, I've only been telling you every step of the way what's been going on and you yeah. need it. So. My, my dad calls it my condition, <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> which is just funny. I mean, that's just funny. Like, it it, it's a condition. What types of advice would your mom give you if she were around during your IVF journey? The advice that I give to everybody else, which is give yourself grace, allow yourself to fall and honor your feelings and know that what you're going through is really hard and your feelings are valid and take your time to feel those feelings and figure out your toolbox in terms of how you are going to pick yourself up and figure out how to move forward. But you cannot move forward until you honor your feelings. And also my mom, I think would say too, sometimes you have to break completely in order to rebuild and just give that kind of, you know, my mom was not a person who 
was okay with people just sitting and feeling sorry for themselves all day long. That was like a no, absolutely not. Her parents were Holocaust survivors. There's literally nothing worse than the Holocaust. Like that's the house that I grew up in. Nothing is worse than a concentration camp. And that's not wrong. But, you know, she had this way of being able to champion people to feel their feelings and make sure they're really dealing with what their feelings are and processing what their feelings are and then helping figure out how to rebuild. And only you, you know, the other thing I think she would say is that only you can figure out what the best path forward is for yourself. Like somebody else, what your best path forward, Millie, is, is not going to be the same for Monica. And that was something that my mom talked about a lot. So I, I think as much as, you know, we talk about what we were just talking about in terms of we kind of know the advice our moms would give. And I'm pretty sure that that's what my mom would say. What about you? Yeah, I think she would, um, because my mom had the medical background, I think she would be very adamant about me going into all of my appointments with a list of questions. I, I think she would say to me, you know, these doctors have a job and sometimes they will just coast through their job if they can. And Mm -hmm. if they know that you're a patient that shouldn't be fucked with, they will not fuck with you. Right. You know, and that's, and that's so funny because that's the advice I give to other people too. Yeah. Just like you said. Yeah. I wish that I had, you know, my mom was a little bit, um, she was never in denial at all about her diagnosis. She was definitely asked questions and she was so, she was such an advocate for herself, but she also, um, didn't, you know, we have a lot of doctors in our family and they were the ones who really pushed my mom in terms of what you just said of like, you have to be your own advocate. Like you have to walk in there with all of the questions that you have and, ask them. Don't just think that they're going to tell you what you need to know, because sometimes doctors make assumptions that we know a lot more than we do. And, and we don't. And I wish in, you know, for me, that's a piece of it, like a part of advice that she would not have been able to give me. And I think that's such a wonderful tool that you have for yourself and knowing that's, that's what you needed to do and how you could advocate for yourself in that office. Cause that's a lot of like, that's a huge thing that a lot of us have to take time to learn on our own. Oh, I know. I know. I know. Excuse me. I think it, it's, we hold these doctors up on pedestals, you know, and, and we look to them like gods and goddesses and we have to like, we have to kind of like even the playing field a little bit, you know? They're people too, you know, they are, they make mistakes. They, they repeat the same things over and over again, and they can't remember what they told you as opposed to the next patient. Exactly. Um, Well, let's pivot for a second and talk about what it's like now being pregnant and wishing our moms could be here to share that joy. I would love for you to start on this one because I have a, a double perspective. I've got a pregnancy. My daughter was, you know, I have secondary infertility as you and I have talked about before. 
And my daughter was here and born and I had a pregnancy that my mom was around for. So I'd love for you to kind of start and talk about your experience going through being pregnant without your mom and, and hear about that. And then I'll kind of jump in with what I Absolutely. Well, I feel like, well, one, when we found out that we were pregnant, you know, this was the first time that we were ever pregnant before. So that was just something that like, oh man, you know, the first person you call is your husband. The second person you call is your mom. You know, it's just like that, um, that one, two person for like, can you know that like you want to share the best news with all the right. time and um and certain milestones you know like oh we we heard the heartbeat we did this and again like back to her generosity like which was so massive and endless um she would have just made gotten me so excited about buying things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um and like creating the nursery and the project and what color scheme are you going to do and you know, oh this is cute and oh that's cute and like those types of things I think um you know, I long for her her presence in right. those moments. Yeah. Um and it's also like um, you know, just like the crazy things that happen to your body, you know, yeah. that you don't feel totally comfortable sharing with your dad. <laughs> right. Yes. 100%. 100%. You know, those are the things that like, like, and you and I have talked about this, the hemorrhoids, the constipation, you know, the you know, like last night, I felt like I had phantom PIO shot pains in my back. Yeah. Like I felt like, oh, God, they're hurting again. Like I just had a bunch of shots in my ass. <laughs> and, um, you know, like just those types of things, just those weird, weird moments that you witness your body changing that like, you know, is probably too much information for most people. Right. For sure. I, all of the, it's the, it's always the little things, you know, I did have my mom for my first pregnancy and it was amazing and wonderful and so special. Um, as you said, I found out I was pregnant and called my husband and then called my mom. Um, all of, you know, talk to her about the things that my body was going through. I used to get, you know, these check-in phone calls from her when I was at work, even though she knew I was at work. I would, I loved sending her videos of my, my belly moving when the baby got big and um, just having her hands on my, my stomach and her feeling Isla, my daughter, you know, move and knowing I, this, experience of what it is to have your mom walk into the room when the baby is born and just look at you as the, her daughter. And then she knows what your, the daughter, her daughter has just been through and the overwhelming love in her eyes that just came. And I 
through this pregnancy, I think have been in a little bit of denial that I'm even, I mean, aside from the infertility trauma of just like being terrified every step of the way that we all kind of feel, um, I think a lot of the denial that I've experienced is not having my mom here to share it with and knowing what it was to have her. Um, and I really miss just having that and, and, and knowing what that was. And when we found out we were pregnant this time, um, with, after our IVF and, and our betas kept rising, I didn't even want to tell anybody because I wasn't able to tell my mom. And I called my dad, this was before COVID hit. And when, you know, people were going to be allowed to come to the hospital and I called my dad and I said, you know, when this baby is born, I'm going to need, my dad is remarried. And I said, I'm going to need just you to walk into the room and have some time with just you, me and the baby and mom and nobody else. And because there's just an honor perspective too, that I want to give my mom in terms of, even though she's not here, this is still her grandchild. Yes. Have that moment. I mean, I even said to Neil, my husband, I was like, maybe after the baby's born, I'm just going to ask you to leave the room too. And I'm going to have some time alone with the baby and my mom. Like you just, just those moments. And it's been really, my friend, a friend of mine had her mom passed away and she has children and her mom never met her children. And my friend said to me, sometimes I wonder if it's harder for you because you actually know what you're missing versus, you know, for me, I have no idea what I'm missing. And I was like, well, I think it's really just terrible for both of us. And (laughs) I'm like, but I had my mom here. How could you even say that? Like, I think that, you know, you have it worse. You don't know what it is. And again, that comparison thing, but it was just an interesting perspective for her to say that in terms of, you know what you're missing and I have no idea what I'm missing. And I can imagine what I'm missing, like the actual experience, like, you know what you want, but you don't know what that feeling is. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I guess, but also I don't agree with that. So it's just a you know, but it was an interesting conversation between two women who had lost their moms sitting there being like, well, I think you have it worse than I do, you know, that kind of a thing. So absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like even in my head, I paint such a rosy picture of how it would be if my mom was still here, but I know she'd be a pain in my ass too. Yeah. There's that pain in the ass portion. I remember when Isla was born and my mom was just like so nervous. She had no idea what to do with a newborn. She hadn't like really held and dealt with a newborn, you know, like her friends kit, like babies and stuff that she would hold and just like pass back right away. But she had no idea how to give Isla a bath and she was nervous and she didn't remember how to change a diaper and all of these things. And I was just like, what the fuck, mom? You're supposed to be going to do this. What are you like? What are you, what's happening? And, um, but you know, all of that stuff starts to fade in, in death. Like I barely remember that stuff and I long for all of the good stuff. So your rose colored glass, you know, that you talk about and the way that you're seeing things, that's how I remember it as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I, I think that, um, Oh man, she would have been more helpful than she would have been a hindrance, you know? Like I think we're going to 
like and hearing about all the postpartum stuff, you know, and and taking care of your body healing while also taking care of a newborn, that's where like I feel like mothers return to their their um oh, what am I trying to say to their role. Mm-hmm. You know, they're taking care of their baby yep. while you're taking care of the, your baby. You know, it, it's like, it's this full circle of life. That's true. That's- um, so I think about that a lot. Yeah, I, I I think you're right about that. That's where my mom really shined in terms of after Isla was born, taking care of me, making sure I was eating. You know, she stayed in New York for two weeks after Isla was born before she went back to Atlanta. And um, just my refrigerator was stocked with food. She was making dinners. She was making sure that I was drinking enough water. She was making sure that I was going and taking a rest when I needed to take a rest. So that aspect of the return to mother, while my mom had no idea how to change a damn diaper, she was making sure that I was, I mean, let's face it, ladies, after you have a baby, if you deliver vaginally, you wear somewhat of a diaper, making sure her big girl was changing her diaper, like making sure I was cleaning when I was supposed to be cleaning myself, all of that stuff. So I hadn't even thought about that portion at all until you just mentioned it. So yeah, that's so true. Do we have any advice for people in the same boat as us? what advice do I have for people who are in the same boat? I mean, I think it's just such a varying scenario of like, when, when did you lose your mom and, and what, where are you right now in the phase of, of where you are? And if you can tap into knowing what your mom would say, I think that that's a very powerful thing in terms of, you know, we want, what would mom say? And like, it's okay to have that feeling of, I think this is what she would say and and go with that. And for people that lost their moms earlier and don't have that kind of thing to tap into, just the advice that I have is it's okay to miss your mom. I think that's the advice that I have for everybody like this. It is okay to miss your mom so desperately that it hurts and just, feel that because I have gotten to the point and I don't know where you are in this, but when I miss my mom so much that it hurts and I can't like function, that is when I feel the closest to her. That is when I feel the most connected to her. So as opposed to kind of feeling so distraught in those moments now, I feel empowered and connected and like she's right here. Um, and that's not really advice, but maybe that's something that people can kind of take in terms of when you're feeling so low and you miss them so much, just know it's because you loved them so much and you had such an amazing connection and, and it hurts. It just hurts. What about you? Yeah, I think I, I'm already trying to plan certain things, certain possessions of my mom's to bring to the hospital yeah. Like I definitely want to bring a picture of her um to have her in the room, you know? Um and then I also I probably will bring her pillow again, you Love know? It. Um to just sort of like rem- like I don't know, to bring her pre- her energy into into the that moment, you know? Right. 
Um, yeah. One thing that I did that I recommend to people is I made a book. So I, my daughter was 10 months old when my mom died. There's, she doesn't remember her, but I made a book all about my mom called it's grandma. And it's, that's what my mom used to say to Isla all the time when we would, you know, FaceTime or she would walk into the room. It's grandma. So I made this book called it's grandma and it's photos of my mom and me and our family before Isla and, and like what our family was. And then just after Isla, but the pictures that Isla loves the most are the photos of our family before Isla even existed. She loves mm-hmm. looking at what, you know, my mom looked like when she was younger and like getting to know my mom as like high school Debbie and then being dumbfounded, you know, Isla's almost six years old now. She's like the high school, high school Debbie and high school or, or and grandma Debbie, like these two very different people, but processing that it's the same person. And while it's great that I have all these amazing photos of, of Isla and my mom together, Isla is so drawn to what our family was before she was here. And I think that can be a really powerful way to incorporate your lost loved one into the next generation and really have them feel like they get to know them, tell the stories about them. Who were they? Um, don't be afraid to, to talk about your lost loved one with your child as they grow up, because I feel like Isla will get into bed and, and one night the light was flickering and she was like, I think that's grandma saying good night. And oh. it's just ingrained in her now that grandma is a part of our everyday life. And like I said, Isla was 10 months old when my mom died. So it's not as if Isla really remembers, but it's because we've incorporated my mom into everyday life. So that's another piece of, of advice that I have is even if your mom isn't here, you can still incorporate your mom into your baby's life and into your child's life. I love that. I love that. And don't be afraid to, um, yeah, share who they were, you know? Right. I want to make sure that my child understands who their Grammy Karen was. Yes. You know? And what you said you, you made a book. What kind of – was this just like a – you know, a Vista print thing that you put together or? Yeah, exactly. I I went on Facebook. This is when I still went on Facebook and I just like grabbed any photo that I could and, you know, called my brother and asked him to send me every photo. And then I went and got um, photos from like the briefcase that I have that just has like all these really old photos of my parents um, from, you know, when they first met and, scanned the photos and I think it was Shutterfly even maybe. And I just uploaded the photos and I wrote a whole story just about, you know, before you were born, there was a life before you. And before I was, before mommy and daddy were born, there was a life before them. And this is what life looked like. And, um, and I incorporated my mom's friends into it as well. Um, just so she could really see that, you know, grandma was a person, not just this figure figurative, like human being. She's not, she's, she's real. And she now asks a lot of questions about grandma, um, which is amazing. So I love that. She's curious. She wants to know. Yes, exactly. And there are plenty of times too, where I just think my mom is like shining down a little bit 
And, you know, Isla will say certain things and I'm like, oh, is that, is that mom coming through? And like, don't be afraid to believe in those moments too. You know, I think at times we try to just tell ourselves, you know, when a, when a memory washes over us, we're just, we say it's just a memory, but also sometimes I think it's the person kind of trying to come through and I don't know what I believe in the afterlife or not, but it's really nice to just know that somehow my mom comes through at times, whether it is just a memory or whether she's really here, doesn't matter, but I feel her and that's what matters the most. I couldn't agree more. That's, I think that's a beautiful place to end. Yes. That's a gorgeous little, um, yeah, place to end our conversation. Thank you so much, Monica, for coming on today. And I feel very, um, it's always nice to have an opportunity to talk about your mom. It is. And I just want to say thank you so much for having me. This is such a meaningful conversation. And I hope anybody who listens just feels you know, connected. And thank you for listening. I really, I, I just, it's such a nice thing to be able to do to sit down and talk about. And I was so happy to learn about your mom. Karen sounds so amazing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I know. I know. And I, as you were explaining, as you were talking about your mom, Monica, I was like, wow, those are qualities that I see in Monica. Well, I wanted to just say to you that I find it very interesting that your mom took kind of this thing that she had, her condition, shall we call it, (laughs) and made something in terms of being able to help other people and look at you and what you've done with infertility and your diagnosis and just creating a platform for people to learn and help them and emotionally support people and everything that you're doing with this podcast. So you've got a lot of your mom in you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. That's nice. And it's nice to have guests on that share a common bond, you know? Yeah. So, all right, we will be in touch. Thank you for having me. Ciao. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Me, Myself, and Millie. Follow us on Instagram at Me, Myself, Millie for more podcast updates. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and share on social media. A special thanks to my husband, Rowan Brooks, for technical support and Cal Reichenbach, who did all the music you heard in this episode. You can check him out at calzonemusic.com. Thanks, cutie bums, and see you next week.